this part one is understanding the tree of life. So the fundamentals of Kabbalah. And what we want to talk about today is what is Kabbalah, first of all, because it's a term that's uh, often mistranslated and misused and abused and uh, people don't really know what it is. It's sometimes like a catchphrase for everything and anything. Sometimes it's used negatively. It's like, ooh, like a cabal. So we got to define it, what it really is. And we're going to talk about how God created the universe. That's a major part of Kabbalah. And understanding the 10 Sefirot, which we're going to get to, what they are, what it means, with some practical applications. So we're going to end with as well practical applications for for day-to-day life, for how, how to really look at the world and make this information useful. And we're going to talk about the 32 paths of creation, uh, and we'll see what, where that comes from. And a, a, sl- a little bit of a deeper look at the Hebrew alphabet, which is the alphabet of creation. We're going to talk about that as well. So first of all, what is Kabbalah? Kabbalah in simple terms is just what we would call the secrets of the Torah, the Sod of the Torah, the secrets of the Torah. It's often just like people say Jewish mysticism, which is, I think, fairly accurate. Mysticism, depending on how you define mysticism, but as a way, as a method to connect to something greater, to connect to God, to transcend the physical world, to see beyond the physical world. If we define mysticism like that, then Kabbalah is Jewish mysticism. And you may have heard this idea that there are four levels of Jewish study, of Torah study. And the acronym is Pardes. Pardes means paradise, but it's the acronym stands for Pei is Pshat. Pshat means the simple meaning. So when you read the Torah, you read, it's like a simple story, right? You read the story, you understand the basic chronological sequence of events, what's happening, the main figures, that's just Pshat. And then the next level is the Remez, which is like the reading between the lines, like what is the message of the Torah? What is it actually trying to teach you? What can we take out of these stories? And then there's the Dalet of Pardes, is Drash, Drush, which is more metaphorical, allegory, analogy, going a little bit deeper. It also represents this whole kind of world of the oral Torah, oral traditions, stories that are not in the Torah, but that we have as tradition going back thousands of years of events that happened that were passed down orally. And finally, the Sod, the Samech is the Sod. So the last letter of Pardes is Sod, which means secrets, all the secrets of the Torah that for historically were actually not really spoken of publicly. So that's why Kabbalah has like this mystery associated with it, because for most of history, the secrets of the Torah were not really shared. And we will talk about why later on. The word itself means to receive. Le kabel, kabana is receiving, reception. And there's different ways to understand what it means to receive. The, the, I, what I like, the definition that I like, is somebody who studies Kabbalah is called a mekubal, meaning a receiver. And that's why I put a little picture of a receiver here, of a radio receiver, uh, if you were wondering why that's there. Because when you think about what a radio is, like you're all sitting in your rooms right now and you probably can't hear music unless you have music on and I don't know about it, but you probably can't hear music. But if you were to take out a radio and to tune to the right frequency, you would hear music 
because your room is right now is actually full of music and talk radio and all kinds of all this radiation is in your room you just have to have a receiver to hear it our ears can't pick it up but with the right technology you could pick it up and you would hear this whole world this whole other world and i think that's a really good analogy for what kabbalah is because we don't really see what's going on in the world around us we're really blind to all the hidden things that we're going to discuss these hidden energies that are in the world around us but with the right technology with the right tools we can tap into that and we can hear that spiritual music in the background that's what it means to to really be a kabbalist to be a mekubalist to kind of see beyond the physical world like to tap into something that's invisible to most people that's what it really means to be a receiver kabbalah is about seeing beyond uh the kotzker rebbe rebbe menachem mendel of kotz he said that something that relates to this that the quote that i often think about which is that if you don't see god everywhere then you don't see god anywhere that's the idea that's really what kabbalah is all about about seeing god everywhere and the the topic was tree of life when we said the tree of life we didn't mean like the tree of life in the garden of eden i mean we kind of did but there's another tree of life the etzhaim which is this diagram this very famous diagram which you've all seen somewhere on all kinds of things on book covers and on posters and it's wherever all over the internet it's a very famous picture it's like the symbol of kabbalah it's like on necklaces and everywhere so it's referred to as the etzhaim as the tree of life sometimes it's referred to as ilana kadosh the holy tree sometimes the whole ilana kadosh refers to something a little bit different than this there's different names for it but one common name for it is the etzhaim and we're going to talk about what this exactly represents what does this depict what is this diagram and this is a really important diagram actually and it contains so much information in it uh once you actually you'll see as we go along uh it's not so it's not as simple as it it looks and it contains so much information that it can really help you understand the whole world around you and yourself and so on so it's one of those amazing diagrams that we have that holds so much information sometimes i tell my students that like to get through life you basically just need like this and the periodic table and like those are like the two great diagrams from which you can get so much information so what is it what are what are these circles and lines you might have may have noticed that there are 10 circles do i need to move this away you guys see what i see i think i move this way. so you see there's 10 circles here and 22 lines it somewhere okay right there so we have 10 circles and uh, 22 lines and the mishnah tells us in pirkei avot that god created the whole universe with 10 utterances god spoke 10 times and everything came into existence so it's not like we don't have this idea of this human-like god that was sitting somewhere in heaven and like you know putting lego pieces together and creating the world that's not how god created the world god spoke the world into existence as we see in genesis that's what it says right god vayomer god said and there was god said let there be light god said let there be this and that and so on so god spoke the world into existence and if you read that first chapter of the torah carefully you'll see that god spoke 10 times 
So that's why we have a teaching that God, that the whole universe was created, everything, not just the physical world, but even the spiritual world and the angels and all things were created with 10 utterances that God spoke 10 times. And of course, he spoke, when we say he spoke, the Torah is in Hebrew, so he, we, he spoke with the Hebrew language, with the primordial language, with these Hebrew letters, uh, the divine language, and Hebrew has 22 letters, so that's why you see in this diagram the 10 circles, which correspond to the 10 divine utterances, and they are interconnected by the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet which gave rise to all these things. Like the whole, this is the code. The 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are basically the code of all of existence, of all of creation. Just like with computers, we can encode everything with binary, with two bits, with zeros and ones. So the whole universe is encoded with these 22 letters that give rise to the 10 spherot, these 10 energies, 10 utterances. So all together, if you count, you have uh, 22 letters and 10 energies, 10 spheral, 10 utterances. So altogether, you have 32 paths. Those are the 32 paths of creation. And Sefer Yetzirah, which is one of the earliest, one of the most ancient Kabbalistic books, goes back thousands of years. It's already discussed in the Talmud, and it goes back, according to tradition, to Abraham. So that's how it actually starts. It starts by telling us, it's called the book of creation, the book of formation, how God brought the universe into existence. And it starts by saying, with 32 paths, did God create his whole universe? With these 32 paths. Clear so far? So we have 10 utterances of 22 letters. So 32 paths, so these 32 things that keep the universe going, that brought the universe into existence. So if you look at Genesis chapter one, so that's after we're done here, you can go and open your Chumash and look at the first page and count how many times is God actually mentioned in that account of creation. And you'll find that it's 32 times, right? Now, coincidentally, there are 32 instances of, of Elohim in the first chapter. So God does something 32 times. So 10 times, 10 times it says Vayomer that God spoke, like we said before, 10 utterances. And three times it says that God created. And seven times Vayal that God saw. And 12 other verbs that are used relating to God, other things that God did. But altogether, you have 32. And of course, each one of these will correspond to the letters. So if you look at your paths, you'll see that you have the 10 times that God spoke, 10 utterances correspond to the 10 spirit, these 10 divine energies. And then the three times that God created corresponds to the three horizontal lines. So the Shin and the Aleph and the Mem. And the seven times that it says Vayar, that God saw, corresponds to the seven vertical lines here. These are the double letters, which we're going to define what that means. And the remaining 12 lines, diagonals, are the elemental letters. So that's how this little diagram actually encodes all of creation, the whole account of creation within it.
So we'll talk about each one, each category. So the first three, the three mothers, the three horizontal lines, okay, the letters Aleph, Mem, and Shin. So they represent, this is according to Sefer Yitzirah, so three, the first three primordial elements that God brought into existence when he was creating our world already, the physical world. So he brought in the three primordial elements were air and water and fire. Air, water, fire. So the Aleph represents air. It stands for air, which is avil. In Hebrew, air is avil. It starts with an Aleph. So it stands for that. And the shape of an Aleph, if you look at the shape, the Aleph is in these, each letter in Hebrew is a symbol and it has a pictorial meaning. So the shape of an Aleph is one of the meanings behind it is that it represents moving air. When you draw air, like when my kids draw little diagrams with a little sun and water and air, how would they depict air? You know, think of how a child would depict air. We draw like a line and like a squiggly line on top and a squiggly line at the bottom, right? That's showing like the passage of air. That's what an Aleph is supposed to look like. That's one of its meanings, that it's like a line, like a vav, and a squiggly and a squiggly. It's like air moving between, passing between two. You see that? You see what I'm talking about? That's an aleph, right? So aleph is air. And then you have water. Amen. Mem means water. Mem is mine, right? The letter mem, mine, mem is water. And again, the shape, if you were to draw water, how do we draw water? symbolically we draw it either like a drop or usually like waves right like these kind of circular shapes and that's the shape of the letter mem which is supposed to represent flowing water and, and again mem means mime water and sheen is esh is fire and the shape of the sheen it's the easiest to see right the shape of a sheen is the shape of a flame and so that's what it represents. The flame in Hebrew is shalhevet. So it's like, that's what the shin stands for. So each of these three letters stands for their primordial element and they are in the shape of that element. And so they represent these primordial elements. So three horizontal lines. And they also represent that there are three aspects of our universe, space, time, and soul. And there's space, three dimensions of space, and there's time and their soul. So in science, it's interesting that we, science has already unified space and time. We speak of a space-time continuum. That was Albert Einstein's whole revolu you know, revolution in science of looking at space and time as being bound together. The one thing that's missing right now is soul, because the Kabbalistic explanation is that not, not only are space and time bound as one, but also the soul is bound as one. So the acronym for that in Kabbalistic books is Ashan. Ashan stands for Olam, which is the space, the world. Shana, which is a year or time. And Nefesh. Olam, Shana, Nefesh is Ashan. And in this, actually in this week's Parsha, Parsha Tito, we see when the, when the Jewish people, when they received the Torah at Mount Sinai, it said that Mount Sinai was Ashan Kulo, that the entire mountain was Ashan which is a little bit strange, the wording there, like the mountain was smoke. So the, the pshat meaning, going back to the beginning, that we have four layers of understanding Torah, the pshat meaning, the way we were taught as children, oh, the mountain was a shun. That means that the mountain was full of smoke. It was a beautiful fireworks show. 
that God put on for the people there to wow them, you know, lightning and fire and smoke. But the deeper meaning, the sod meaning, when it says that the Sinai was al-shan kulon, it means that at that moment, that time, space, soul, everything was one. You know, everything had combined. All there was it was almost like a wormhole opening up in the fabric of space-time when God kind of descended, so to speak, when godliness descended into the world to give the Torah. That's a deeper meaning of that, of Mount Sinai being a shun. And the three lines and three mother letters, they're three mothers. Ultimately, we're talking about sound, right? We're talking about speech, talking about vibration. So when we're talking about sound, they correspond to the three base sounds and three basic kind of tones and noises that we have. So in general, you produce sound through one of three things, either from your throat, like the letter Aleph and He and Ein and Chet, they come from the throat or from your lips, like Mem and Bet, right? You need your lips to say those or from your tongue. So you need to use your tongue to make some noise like Lamed. You, need, you can't say Lamed without using your tongue. You can try, it's not gonna work. So there are subgroupings. Sometimes you need to put your tongue up against your palate. Sometimes you need to put your tongue up against your teeth. Those are dental sounds. But ultimately, it's one of those three. It's either the throat, the lips, or the tongue. And there are three bass sounds, which are the Aleph, Mem, and Shin. That kind of the three foundational sounds of all sounds. So I'll explain that, that when you think about how you produce sound, first, you need air. That's the Aleph. So you have just air passing through a channel, like ah, uh, right? Like if you're playing an instrument, let's say, a woodwind instrument, and you wanna make sound, you blow air into the instrument. And then to regulate the sound, you, you know, like I used to play clarinet. So like you, you close the clarinet, you close different uh, holes on the clarinet, and that makes different sounds. But at the initial, you, the, the force behind it is the air that you're blowing in. So the first is the aleph, it's the air, or the air coming up your throat from your lungs. So there's the ah sound. Once you actually channel that sound through specific holes on an instrument or by uh, using your vocal cords, then you get the mem sound. Mem is mm, m is a pulse, it's a tone. It's one clear tone. So you go from an ah, then you channel that sound and you get a mmm. Right? So mem is a tone, it's a pulse. It's kind of clean, it's one sound. And sheen is when you have a lot of sounds and they're messy. It's when you have lots of noises. So sheen is noise, which is why when it's noisy and you want to tell somebody to be quiet, you say shh, shh, shh. <laughs> I'm, I'm partly joking, but shin represents noise. Um, when you, in the old days, remember when we would turn on the TV and it was not tuned to anything, you would hear like shh, right? Like static noise. Or when you turn on your radio and it's not tuned to anything, what do you hear? You hear shh, right? The shin is noise. So if somebody's loud, you say shh, you know, get, stop that noise. So shin represents noise. And mem is Paul, it's like a tone, and a is like just the, the general, the, the source. So when you say shma, as just a brief aside, we can have a whole other day to discuss the shma. 
But when you think about the Shema, there's a very deep meditation behind it. You may have, al may have already noticed that the Shema has these three sounds in it, right? It starts with shh, meaning there's all this noise in the world going on around you. We're all so consumed with all of everything that's going on out there. There's all this noise. And then you, you've got to close your eyes and you got to kind of get, forget that noise for a second. And you think it's go shh, you know, silence that noise. And then you go, mm, right? Put it all, channel all that noise into one pulse. Like you got to focus into one tone. That's why in Eastern meditation, similarly, when, you, when they would meditate, you meditate on a tone. You go, um, it's the same idea, actually. You, when you do that communally, if you've ever done it, it's a really powerful experience. A group of people come together and like hum together in one tone. It's a real spiritually uplifting thing. I was in Burma once, many years, 10 years ago, actually, exactly, in Burma, at, in a huge monastery. Buddhist monastery. And when, when I was it just happened to be during a meditation session, and there was, I don't know how many, probably a hundred of these monks sitting on the floor and just going mm, together. And you can't imagine, like the, the, uh, the spiritual upliftment is incredible. Being able to channel into one sound, one vibration, it's really amazing. I didn't participate, by the way. Don't think I was a Buddhist monk in Burma. <laughs> I was just passing by. Uh, so that's the men. So when you say Shema, it starts with noise, shh, and then, mm, and then, ah, what's the ah? Ah is now just the initial, just the oneness, right? Ah is just godliness, right? So you, you kind of, you, you, you lose even the tone. That's how the Shema starts. So it, the whole idea is to channel all that, get rid of the noise, channel all that energy into just oneness. Right? And we'll talk more about that shortly. So that's what the three mothers represent. Then you have the seven double letters. Double letters meaning there are seven letters in Hebrew that have two sounds. So we all know this, that they have like bet and vet, right? They can have a dagesh. A dagesh means you make it hard. So without a dot, it's a vet. With a dot, it's a vet. Right? So the gimel is usually not really used today. Some communities do use it. Like the Bukharian community will differentiate between a regular gimel and like my grandmother's name, which is Ohul. Right? Like you can't really hear. It's really hard for people to pick it up. It's spelled Aleph Vav Gimel Vav Lamed. So if you read it, you might say Ogul, but it's not a G, it's Ogul with like a G-H. Uh, it's almost like a rolling R. Um, there's different ways to pronounce it. Uh, that's the distinction. Usually we just say Gime. And Dalid is also lost in many communities, in most communities. But there's a hard Dalid, which is Dalid, which is what we use. And there's a soft Dalid. Okay? the like that okay. going back to the Shema we talked about the start of the Shema the end of the Shema is Echad right the Dalet there is supposed to be soft and halachically we're supposed to extend it 
we're supposed to kind of meditate on the dalid. So you're supposed to extend it. If you make a dagesh there, other than the fact that you're reading it wrong, because it doesn't have a dagesh, you're also unable to stretch that sound. You're supposed to stretch it a little bit. So sometimes you'll hear people in like every synagogue you hear this. People go, Echad. You you're not supposed to do that. That's the opposite of what you're supposed to do because by doing that, you're making a dagesh on it. And you're supposed to not do a dagesh on it. You're supposed to soften it and stretch it. So what it should be is, Echad. That's the right way of doing it. Yeah, but a lot of people don't know that. So that's, but that's how it's supposed to be done because there's a dalid and a dalid. Okay, so that's the two dalid sounds and the kaf and the chaf, everybody knows. Although there are some issues with that as well. Uh, confusion with the, with the chet, which is like more of a throaty sound, but we're not going to get to that. And pei and fei, we all know. And reish and reish, reish, there's many ways of saying the R. So it can be a soft R. It can be a hard R, like Sephardis emphasize a hard R. Ashkenazis do a very soft R. So there's different sounds for R. And taf and thav. So there's a difference there between, don't confuse a valid with a thav, because thav is like three, and valid is like that. Those are different sounds, right? There's like, it's sometimes it's easy to confuse, but a tha and a tha are two different sounds. And this actually why we've talked about this before, but in the, Ashken, the traditional Ashkenazi pronunciation of thav is a sav, uh, because in Eastern European languages, there is no tha sound. So just like Russians would say, often would say with a Russian accent, a sa instead of a tha. You know, instead of a three, they would say three, you know. So I know those sounds because I grew up with those sounds. <laughs> I was born in the Soviet Union, so I know what those sounds are like. So it's really hard to say tha in Eastern Europe. Uh, so that's why you have sa, but it really should be tha, which is why also the way it's translated, transliterated into English, like Shabbat is Sabbath, right? Like Natan is Nathan. Because that's what it should be. It should be Nathan right, with a TH sound in it. My son's name. That's why it came to my head. Okay. So this, these are the seven vertical lines, seven double letters, seven times that God says he saw and he saw that it was good, corresponds to seven days of the week and the seven visible luminaries in the sky that you can see without a telescope. So that's the sun and the moon and Mercury and Venus and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn. And uh, seven colors of the rainbow, the seven discernible colors of the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, and the seven musical notes, do, re, mi, and all that. So all these things are seven. And finally, the 12 diagonal lines are the 12 elemental letters. And they correspond to the 12 months of the year and the 12 zodiac signs and the 12 tribes of Israel and various other things that are 12, like the 12 permutations of God's name. yud Hey vav Hey. if you rearrange those letters, you can re there's only 12 possibilities. There are 12 ways to rearrange those letters. So you can have like Hey vav yud Hey, like yud Hey vav Hey, Hey vav yud Hey. You can rearrange the letters 12 possible ways. And each one has power, each one has meaning, each one connects to 
the cycles of the year and the constellations and so on. So that's the 22 letters. And then what we want to focus on is the 10 spheros. So the 10 energies, these 10 divine energies that permeate the whole universe. So when God created the universe, he, for, he brought about these energies, they contain the universe. And these are basically ways for us to, we can use them to understand the world because everything in the world is somehow made of some combination of these energies. So the 10 utterances, we said, the 10 plagues in Egypt corresponded to these 10. And the 10 commandments, which we read about this week, correspond to these 10. And the 10 trials of Abraham and the 10 trials that of Israel in the wilderness. And all these things that are 10 in the Torah and outside of the Torah correspond to these 10 energies. And in today, in modern science, we have something called string theory, which is that grand hopefully will be, or some people hope it will be the grand unified theory. The one theory that can explain the, the whole universe, that can unify all the forces and explain everything. So in string theory, there are different versions of string theory, but in one, in, in the, at least the main version or in one version, there are 10 dimensions in the universe. And in Kabbalah, when you read Kabbalistic texts, they talk about the 10 spherot as 10 dimensions, essentially, as 10 levels of reality. So there's a lot of overlap if you dabble in string theory a little bit in the way these things are described. So sometimes reading something on string theory is very similar to reading something on, or reading the Arizal, something Kabbalistic. So I felt that sometimes, like they, it's very similar the way it sounds. So there's 10 dimensions and there's different types of string theory. So in another version of string th theory, there are 11 dimensions. And we're gonna see shortly that there's a hidden 11th quality here. So sometimes Kabbalah speaks of an 11th dimension. And in another version of string theory, there are 26 dimensions, which is also good because in the deepest layers of Kabbalah, there are actually 26 variations of the spherot corresponding to God's name, which has a value of 26, right? Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, God's name has a value of 26, 10, 5, 6, 5. 26 represents God's name. So string theory in this kind of has a lot of overlap. That's a topic for another day. So we're going to just break down these spherots real quick and then talk about some practical examples of how can we actually use this in our life. So the first three spherots at the top, they're called the mochin, the mental, the intellectual qualities. Keter means a crown at the very top, but it represents willpower, ratzon, so will, divine will, your will, willpower. Second, after that, the second one is chokhmah, which is translated as wisdom, but it's not really quite wisdom. It's more like knowledge. Chokhmah is koachmah. It means the power of knowing what. You can break it down, rearrange it into koachmah. It's knowing what things are. It's basically pure knowledge. It's information. Chokhmah is information. Bina, the third one, is understanding. So it's actually, it's more than just information. It's being able to understand the information. It's being able to build on the information. It's deeper. And then you have, da, I mentioned dot. There's a, a hidden where the dalit is over here. 
sometimes you'll see a hidden like little dotted 11th circle which is called dot dot is applying your literally means knowledge but that is applying some people translate as knowledge but it means applying your knowledge that's real wisdom technically it's where you can actually apply what you learn that's that so you've all heard of chabad chabad the acronym chabad actually comes from this from chokhmah bina dat it stands for these spherot chokhmah bina dat it's about an intellectual process of getting information chokhmah understanding it bina and then applying it dat that's a three step process it's not enough to just take in information. You have to understand it. You have to apply it. It's a three-step process. And then uh, it's the mochin is associated with right and left brain. And sometimes also with the brain and the heart. So I mentioned before that the masculine feminine, chokhmah is called abba sometimes. We'll talk more about that in the next part, part two. Abba is the father, so it's a masculine trait, and Bina is Ima, which is a, the mother, it's the feminine trait. This is just an introduction to this topic, which has a lot, there's a lot more there to discuss. That's the idea of when we, the intellectual process is to take in information, understand it, and apply it. Then the next seven are the Midot, which means character traits. Uh, so qualities, character traits. Uh, so the first one, the first one is called chesed. Chesed means kindness. It's positivity. It's giving. It's giving energy. Chesed is just all positive, all giving. That's chesed. It's also called gedula, greatness, largeness, being large. You know, when people are saying they're large. Like being large, it's being generous, being open. So that's chesed. And then the second one is the opposite of that. On the opposite side of chesed is gvura. Gvura is restraint. It's judgment. It's also called din. Din is judgment. It's the opposite of chesed. Chesed is giving. Gvura is not giving. It's about kind of receiving, being in yourself. Chesed is about more about others. And gvura is more being internal judgmental is a gvura is more strictness and then tiferet is the third one which is the balance of the two so it's sometimes known as compassion the balance between severe judgment and total kindness is compassion or mercy being in the middle and it's the middle path it's the path of balance and truth tiferet. then you have netzach netzach means victory it's about persistence Faith is an important part of Netzach. Faith and prophecy are rooted there. And then Hod, which means glory, but also means gratitude. Lehodot means to be grateful. And Yisod is the foundation. It literally means foundation, but it has to do with purity, sexual purity especially. And being righteous in general, righteousness, which is strongly correlated with sexual purity. And finally, the last one is malchut, which means kingdom or kingship, and it represents humility, and it also is associated with speech, with proper speech. So you may have, may have noticed that these terms, when we take out the Torah on Shabbat, we say this, we say, Lecha Hashem HaGdula V'Agvura V'Atiferet V'Hanetzach V'Or, right? You remember this, these words? 
So these are the words, right? We say gdula and gvura and tiferet and netzach and hot. These are the words that it's actually a pasuk from the Tanakh. It's one of the pasukim in the Tanakh. There are many which allude to the spherot. Okay? So this is one of them. So these things, like if you're wondering where it's coming from, keep in mind that this is Kabbalah is the sod of Torah. It's all ultimately coming out of the Torah. So we see how it's coming from the 10 utterances. But then if you're wondering, okay, I get that there's 10 utterances, but where did you get these terms from? It's still coming from the Tanakh, right? It's still coming from scripture. It's still from other verses. So it's just understanding the Torah on a deeper level. So Kabbalah is the secrets of Torah. It's still all coming out of the Torah, out of verses from the Torah. And uh, we've heard of this concept of the seven shepherds of Israel, like on Sukkot, we have Ushpizin, the seven shepherds on Sukkot and so on. So Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, right? These correspond to these seven midot. They are the personifications of these qualities. So Abraham was the personification of Chesed and Isaac was the personification of Gvura and Jacob of Tiferet and Netzach and Hod were Moshe and Aaron and, and Yosef is Yisod and David is Malchut. So they, they personify those qualities. And I mentioned the, this other last set of terms, Zeran, Pin, and Nukva, which we'll talk about more in part two. But they, the, the first six qualities are more mask are also considered more masculine qualities. And Nukva means a feminine. The seventh trait is considered more of a feminine quality. So we'll talk more about that later. And they correspond to the human body. This is not the best picture, but it's the only one, the only, the closest one I could find. So uh chesed would be the right arm <clears throat> the entire right part of the body but specifically the right arm and gvura is the left arm and tifelet is the the central the trunk the torso uh specifically the heart netzach is uh, the right leg also the right kidney and also for men would be the right testicle for women the right ovary yeah, all these things are important and play a role also in healing and more spiritual healing and so on. Hod is the opposite of that. So the left leg, kidney, over you, testicle, whatever. And Yisod is the reproductive organ. So we said before that Yisod is sexual purity, right? And Malchut is the feet, but also the mouth. And there's an interesting relationship between why feet and mouth go together, which maybe we'll talk about later. Or focus on Tiferet for a second, because we mentioned in a previous class that Tiferet is the root of the Jewish people, of Israel is rooted in Tiferet. So every nation has a spiritual root, every person has a root. So you are rooted in some spirit, some combination of spirit, so you can understand yourself. And we'll talk about that a little bit soon, some practical applications of this. So the Jewish people are rooted in Tiferet, in truth and in balance. That's our mandate to bring truth to the world. That's what we're supposed to be doing and living a proper balanced life, physical, spiritual, and so on. And like we said earlier, Tiferet is the heart. And you'll notice that Tiferet on the tree of life, that Tiferet is the only one that's interconnected with everything else. So it's the only circle that has a line to every other circle and thereby also to every other letter somehow. So it's, it's in the center and it's intertwined with everything. So it's like the heart. We said that it's associated with the heart. So just like your heart is intertwined with every part of your body, your heart is really the only organ that connects to every part of your body, right? Your brain doesn't connect to every cell through nerves. 
the heart literally connects to every cell through capillaries and veins and so arteries, arterioles. The heart connects to every cell of the body, except for one set of cells. Does anybody know what the exception is? So it's the corneas. Okay, your corneas, your eye, the outer surface of your eye has no blood vessels. Otherwise, it would make for a very sloppy laser eye surgery if they cut your corneas and you'd start bleeding and that would not be very good. So if you've had laser eye surgery like I did, you know what I'm talking about. Um, anyway, so you, other than the corneas, every cell of your body, every living cell of your body is connected to the heart. And in Hebrew, heart is lev. Lamed bet is 32. The lamed bet nativot, those 32 paths that we started talking about, right? God created the world through 32 paths of creation. So these 32 paths connect the entire universe, just like your heart connects the, your entire body and gives life to your whole body. Constantly beating from the moment you're born, before you're born, constantly beating your whole life, keeping you alive. It's the same thing with these 32 paths that constantly beat and reverberate through the universe and keep it alive spiritually. Okay, so a few practical applications and we're done. Um, so the first one, if you think of, this is just like the, in, the, in the broadest sense, you think about how these spherots work. This really defines how we go through life, how we do what we do. So I'm gonna, I wanna lay it out for you and then you'll see that. And then you, I think you'll notice it in like things that you do in your life. So for example, let's say you wanna take on a project. This will work for anything. Doesn't matter what it is, but let's say you wanna, whether you wanna build a house or paint a painting, it doesn't matter what. Everything starts with a willpower, right? You have the will to do something. Step one, boom, the idea pops into your head. You have the will to do something. Step two, you have this will. What do you need to do next? You need information, right? If you want to build a house or you want to paint a painting, you have to learn how to do that because you don't know how to do it. Or even if you didn't know how to do it, let's say you've done it before, you want to do it again. You got to plan it out. You got to make a blueprint. You got to, you got to create a plan of some sort. How are you going to paint? What do you want to paint? You know, whatever project it is that you're doing, it starts with the willpower. You have some vision. Then you actually have to plan it out. You have to get some information. You have to figure out how you're going to do this, right? Step three is you have to understand what you're going to do. So like if you ever do like a home improvement project, like I like to do sometimes, right? First, you're going to, you have your vision. I'm going to fix this in my house. Then you're going to figure out how you're going to do that. And then you're going to need to understand it. So you're going to go and watch a bunch of YouTube videos. You're going to go to Home Depot. You're going to ask around, you're going to get, you need to understand what it is that you're doing. Once you understand it, then you can actually start doing what it is that you're doing. And when you start, so you're going to agree with me with it, on this, because I know we've all been through this a million times. Every time you start a project, it usually starts really well. That's the chesed part. It starts super easy and you feel like, oh, why was I stressing out about this? This is so simple. I'm going to get this done in no time. And then like half an hour later, bam, gvura, like you just burst the pipe or something. And you're just like, what did I just do? Or whatever it is that you're doing, there's always a mess up. Yeah, you agree with me? There's always this challenge that comes. And now you're freaking out. 
and you have to over this is the test right this is the real where you have to learn like what it is what am i doing here so you're put to the test so that's gvura so it always starts with chesed it always starts positively and then it goes to gvura very quickly you hit a challenge you hit challenges Eventually, you overcome those challenges, and then you get to Tiferet. Tiferet is that beautiful phase. It means beauty. It's the balance. You've hit your stride, and you're working, and everything's good. That's the part that you enjoy. Like, once you've overcome the challenges, and everything's good, now you're just, you know, you're doing your thing. That's the best part. But then you have to persist. So oftentimes, we start a project, and then we forget about it, and then we put it aside. We procrastinate. And then it never gets done. So then we have Netzach. So the next step is Netzach is persistence. You got to keep going to the end. You got to finish it. When you are done, that's where you have Hod, where you have that sense of glory that you did it. And gratitude. Lehodot means you're grateful that you got it done. You overcame the challenges and you're done. But you're not quite done yet. Because then you go to Yisod, which is foundation. You go back to the beginning and you have to do some quality control. You have to, you see on the, on the schematic, Yisod parallels Ketel, right? Willpower is at the top of this little hexagon and Yisod is at the bottom of it because it's supposed to reflect Ketel. So you go back and you ask yourself, well, did I fulfill my vision? Is this what I had in mind? Was this my initial will? Did I do the job that I wanted? I built my house. Does it look like what it was supposed to look like? Does my painting look like what it was supposed to look like? Because if it doesn't, then you have to go back to step one and do it all over again. And if you have fulfilled it, then you can go to Malchut, to your kingdom. You feel like you've completed your project. And right? then you feel like the king, you've achieved mastery of that thing. And now you know what you're doing and you can help your neighbor do the same thing or whatever it is that you want to, you know, now you, you've gotten the end. That comes with, this is the, the important thing, when you finish a project, there's two ways to look at it. One way is, look at me, I did it, I'm the best. It was all me. And the other way of doing it is to have some humility, which is the way it's supposed to be, that at the end of the process, you realize, wow, I actually did it, thank God, but I didn't do it alone. I did it with all this other help. So thank the guy at Home Depot, thank my neighbor, my friend, the, whoever, that guy who helped me, YouTube videos, thank God for not, you know, that I actually carried through with this. So you need there's some humility required as well that's how you really properly end the project so those are the steps to like anything that you do in life you'll notice that it goes through these steps doesn't matter what it is you have a will first you have to get information you have to understand and then and sometimes we skip steps and that's where we fail so you can use this as a 10-step guide to successfully completing any project because sometimes we'll start a project We'll get the chokhmah, but not the bina. So if you're starting a project, it's not enough to acquire the information. You have to ask yourself, do I actually understand it? Do I know what, what's going what's gonna to happen? And you have to be aware of chesed, gvura. What are some challenges that I might encounter? How am I going to deal with them? What are my backup plans? You have to not forget about netzach. We have to persist. A lot of people today start things and don't finish them. So you have to have netzach. How are you, set those smart goals. How are you going to go through with this to the very end? Don't forget ESO. Don't forget to check your work and so on. Like this is, it's like, it's the same process. No matter what you're doing, it's the same process. This is like a good 10-step plan for anything in life. Another practical application of the spherot 
is for understanding yourself and your personality. This is really interesting. And this is really, you can talk about this for, for many, many hours. This is a very brief, brief introduction. The days of the week correspond to the seven bottom spillouts. And we set to the seven doubled letters, which all lead to the seven uh, bottom spherots. So if you're born on a Sunday, you can check when you were born, what day it was when you were born. Sunday is a day of chesed. So people on Sunday tend to have, born on Sunday, tend to have more of a chesed quality. And there's two ways to look at it. It's either that they embody chesed or they should and they're not. Now, there's always a positive and a negative. Okay, so you have to understand that. It could be that a person's really stingy and their test is chesed, you know. Or it could be that they're naturally very chesed and they're too generous and they're too splurgy or whatever the right word is with their money. Or in general, with kindness, that they're not kind enough or they're too kind. Gvura is a Monday trait, being judgmental, okay? being too self-absorbed. Tuesday is a tiferet, balance. Wednesday is netzach, it's with persistence and faith. And Thursday is hod, with gratitude and glory and grace also, by the way. Gracefulness is a hod quality. Friday is a yisod day. It has to do with sexual purity and all things that are associated with that, with righteousness. And Shabbat is a malchut day, with humility and speech and so on. Also, the months of the year. So there's various, there's two main ways of looking at how the months correspond to the sphere. They're both right in their own way. I personally prefer this way. It just makes a little more sense to me, but they're both good. I'll show you both. So the first one's like this, that the month of Nisan, so you look at where your Hebrew calendar birthday is. Uh, so the month of Nisan is a month of chesed. It's where we celebrate redemption, God's chesed to us that God freed us from Egypt. It's a happy, positive month, a festive month. So a month of Nisan is a month of Chesed. Iyar is Gvura and so on. Sivan, when we receive the Torah, is Tiferet. Remember, Tiferet is about truth, balance, beauty. So we specifically receive the Torah in this month. And then uh, Tammuz, Netzach, Avhod keeps going. Elul is Yisod. So Elul is about the, the, the astrological sign, of course, is the Virgo. Virgo about virginity, purity, right? Yisod, Yisod, Elul, you see the connection? And it's all about the 40 days of repentance where we're trying to do tshuva, we're trying to purify ourselves, become pure again, become righteous again. And then Malchut is the first half of Tishrei because the first half of Tishrei is about God's kingship. The first half of Tishrei is about malchut, is about we say how God is king, right? We change our prayers even, that we say that God is king. So the first half of Tishrei is about malchut. Then the second half of Tishrei is back to chesed, because the second half of Tishrei is all about God's kindness. We're in the sukkah, God's protecting us, clouds of glory. Uh, we're praying for rain, water, the association with chesed and water and life-giving and so on. And then cheshvan is again gvur. Cheshvan is a very difficult kind of month. It's the Scorpio month. It's a month with no holidays. The only month, Jewish month with no holidays. It's the month of the flood. It's the month where Rachel Imenu passed away. So don't get scared if you were born in cheshvan. There's a lot of positive qualities in cheshvan too. But cheshvan is the month of gvura. And then kislev is Tiferet, and Tev, Tevet is Netzach, and Shvat is Hod, and back to Adar is Yisod, and Adar Bet, 
is about Malchut again, because the Darbet is when Purim happened. Not every year do we have a Darbet, but when we do, it's always in a Darbet. Not every year do we have a Darbet, but when we do have it, Purim is in a Darbet, because Purim originally happened in a Darbet. And of course, Purim's also about Malchut. It's about royalty. It's about queenship. So there's like the king part, which is in Tishrei, and then there's the queen part, which is in Adar Bet. Okay. So there, and I said that there's another way of looking at it, which is um, this way. So this is from Rav Yitzchak Ginsburg, who is a great genius and from his website, the link is down here. And he has a more extensive uh, calendar so you can connect your month to also different qualities based on Sefer Yetzirah and other sources. Uh, the tribe that would be associated with that month, the tribe of Israel. So you can look at this in more depth later on. Uh, the slides will be posted also. Uh, going back here for a second, going back here for a second. If you're a firstborn, that's usually a sign of being chesed. Second born, Gvura, there's the classic second child syndrome. We've all probably heard about this in psychology. Um, second child syndrome is often a Gvura trait. And in many families, it's textbook, especially when you have the first two children are the same gender. It really mainly works where the first two children are the same gender. Not necessarily, but when, it, when the first two are the same gender, it's usually like pretty pronounced. And then Tiferet is third born when you have twins. So Netzach and Hod, the first born, the second born. Uh, Isod is a boy's quality. And you all can connect the dots. You know what that means. Boys and Yisod is a big issue. And girls is a Malchut quality. And you know what that means too. Because girls and Malchut and speech is also often problematic. So uh, women have we're blessed with a lot of speech. So the Talmud says that God created 10 measures of speech and women took nine of them. So women have the, a greater ability to speak and communicate, but also greater challenges with speaking and communicating. And for men, it's kind of the same, but in Yisod, that has to do with sexuality. Lots of issues that can potentially arise there. So that's just like a very brief very quick rundown of understanding your personality and there's obviously so much more to talk about here and the letters like the letters of your name if you look at the the tree so you can look at the paths the letters of your name and which spherot they connect and how that corresponds to you as well that's on a much more deeper level and life in general follows these seven steps. I focus on the seven because in this lower world, we'll cover more of that next week or whenever we do the next part, that this lower world, we have set qualities of seven, like seven colors, seven musical notes and so on. So life in general follows these seven steps. Right? Childhood is chesed, it's all kindness. It's all positivity. You have nothing to worry about. I mean, not everybody, unfortunately, has a good childhood necessarily. Uh, but in general, childhood is a time where you have no responsibilities. It's a time of just positive energy where you're taken care of. Somebody provides everything for you. So it's a time of chesed. And then when you pass to teenage years, it's a time of gvura. That's a time of a lot of challenges, a lot of uh, changes 
a lot of judgments and being very judgmental and so on, having a lot of issues and struggling with your identity. And so we know what that's like. And then Tiferet is that early adulthood period where when everything was so nice and uh, fun and whatever, before you had kids and you had freedom and you can do things. <laughs> so that's Tiferet, right? The balance, the beauty time when like you're newlyweds and whatever. And then Netzach is where you go into the next phase where you already have family. So that's a time of Netzach. That's a time of persistence. When you are a parent, you, the whole, your whole life is defined by Netzach. It's constant persistence. It's persistence. It's work. It's effort. You basically don't sleep, right? I don't, I don't remember when I slept last time. And then after that, you move into hod, right? That's the time where the kids are out of the house and should be ideal in theory that it should be the be those golden years, right? Where you find where you have like the best of everything, where you can actually enjoy the fruits of all your labor and just play with the grandkids, but not actually take care of them and so on too much, you know? So that's the Soda's old age where you, and and ultimately ends with going back to the foundation. Again, Yisod means foundation. It's an earth quality. Each of the spherot have a have a quality associated with them as well. So there's an earth quality going back to the earth where you came from. And finally, of course, then you have the path to the kingdom of heaven, which is Malchut, which is kingdom. And it and, and on the again on the diagram, if you look at the way it's arranged, like this is your life, and then it ends here, and then Malchut stands on its own. Like this is where there's on, there's one, the tough that controls. That letter Tav, there's a long Talmud about the letter Tav and what it really represents. It's the seal of death and the seal of truth. It's the seal of God. It's the letter Tav. And, that, and that's like the, the gateway to the kingdom. So that's where earthly life ends and the path to heaven. There's only one path. There's no, there are no short, shortcuts and no way to get around it. The other spheres have various ways of getting to them. But Malchut doesn't. It's one path. Okay, so that, that was it. There's, of course, a lot more to talk about. That's it for part one. And we're going to continue in the future with part two.